Another huge week in sport once again on and off the field. What do we got this week, Stewie? On this week's show, we'll talk about round three of the AFL and the concerning trends for some of the Premiership favourites, VAR madness in the English Premier League, explosive match-fixing claims out of Sri Lanka, and coronavirus round two. Let's get it on. start. Quick news roundup. Plenty of concerning things left, right and centre. Let's go firstly with the explosive report coming out of Sri Lanka. Former Sri Lankan sports minister Mahindananda Athulgamaj. She's has a pretty good effort. I think that would have taken me four or five goes. <laughs> yeah, I was happy with that. Who along with former captain Arjuna Ranatunga are claiming that the 2011 final in Mumbai was fixed. Sri Lanka made 6 for 274 off their 50 overs. A reasonable score, but not one that would scare an Indian batting lineup headlined by Vrinda Saywag and including Tendulkar, Gambia, Kohli, Dhoni and Yuvraj Singh, who was in decent form at that time. But with both Saywag bowled in the second delivery and Tendulkar out for only 18, with Malinga bowling very well, it was game on. But some average fielding and bowling combined with an 109-run fourth-wicket partnership between Gambia and Dhoni took the game away from the Sri Lankans, and India won with 10 balls remaining. Such a weird one. I was actually in Mumbai when the final was on, funnily enough, and I remember watching this match, sitting in a, in a pub, and not thinking that anything too sus was going on. It, it honestly just felt like at the time that the pressure of the occasion got to the Sri Lankans, and while I guess the experience maybe got India over the line, it uh, maybe doesn't appear to be the case, and uh, Ranatunga is apparently calling for an investigation into the final and, and maintains that while he can't reveal anything now, he will one day. This is huge. These are huge claims, Nathan. What does this potentially mean to the future of the game? Well, unfortunately, it seems like there's a match-fixing scandal that rears its ugly head in cricket almost on a yearly basis. So obviously, this one's from quite some time ago now, nearly a decade ago. I'd flown home by this stage because we couldn't get tickets to the final and there was some things going on back here that meant that I should probably come home. But in the grander scale, I mean, I guess the skeptics would say sour grapes. Obviously, Sri Lanka were bridesmaids and not the brides on several occasions in Cricket World Cups. Maybe this is Sour Grapes by Ranatunga. Obviously, he was in a winning one in 96. But, I don't know, it's it's not good. It's not good at all. No, it really isn't. It? If there's any sort of truth to this, the, the fallout for... Not not just for Sri Lanka, but also for India. I mean, who was involved with... You know, if there was money involved, who was who was involved with taking it? Where does this even start and how deep does this go and, and how many nations are still involved with this sort of thing? I mean, Pakistan always has that unfortunate title, I guess, of, of being quite corrupt. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a scary one. Really. Well, the other thing is a lot of these blokes are still running around playing. So there is, if they are tarnished, then we'll see. Time will tell. Hopefully, uh, I'm sure Ranatunga will write a tell-all book one day. I'd read that. Yeah, I would too. Well, I suppose we should uh, move on. We could talk about that all day, but we'll move on to something else, which was the farcical VAR situation in the English Premier League. So the resumption of the Premier League happened over the weekend, and one of the biggest talking points actually came in the first game between Sheffield United and Aston Villa around the lack of use of VAR. So those teams really have very different aspirations right now. Sheffield United uh, currently sitting two points behind Manchester United and Wolverhampton for automatic qualification for the Europe League or the Europa League. And they're seven points behind Chelsea for the Champions League. For those of you who don't really know much about that side of things, to put it into perspective, winning the Champions League can be more than 80 million euros for your club. 
Um, you can receive 15 million just for reaching the group stage, and you get another 2.7 million for each win thereafter. Europa League, even getting to that's nothing to sneeze at. It's 2.7 million for the group stage and 13.5 million for winning the tournament. Isn't it funny that footy came back in Australia and there was a goal line controversy and sure enough in England, in their football code, they had a goal line controversy too. This one's even worse though. <laughs> this is the thing. So what happened basically late in the first half, Ollie Norwood swings in a free kick to the back post and it's curling in towards the top corner. Villa goalkeeper Oyan Nyland saves the ball but he gets bundled into the goals by Keenan Davis. The entire ball ended up a good foot over the line, but referee Michael Oliver, after indicating that they had VAR available, elected not to go to it, instead stating that it hasn't gone in. Now, the game finishes nil all, and with that goal being paid, it doesn't guarantee that United would win, but I still feel they can probably feel quite aggrieved not to be at least level with Man United and Wolves for fifth. Hawkeye actually unreservedly apologised after the game, acknowledging the ball had gone over the line and saying it was the first time an error such as that had occurred in more than 9,000 matches. But that's absolutely no consolation to to United, Um, especially in a league where there's no salary cap. This is probably the big problem for me is that, you know, making the Europa League or the Champions League, more importantly, is huge for some of these non-powerhouse teams and it really helps with the parity of of the league. So I guess it, it begs multiple questions. If you've got the technology, why wouldn't you use it? And if VAR is available and the TV is showing clear evidence that it's it's worth reviewing, why wouldn't the person involved with that take the initiative to get in the referee's ear and tell him to hold up? It's nice to know that we're not the only ones that bungle this, but it seems that video reviews are an issue across all sports, across the whole world. It's been around for a long time. Why can't they get it right? Why can't they get it right? And as I said last time, why isn't there someone in the booth calling shots and saying this needs to be looked at? But again, much like how the AFL started for us, it kind of sums up the year, doesn't it? And I'm sure the headlines over there would have been pretty similar to what they were here after the uh, Richmond and Collingwood game. Well, I mean, it also looks at the, the question of cricket. They get it right with a player gets out, they check the front foot. If there's any sort of doubt, check the footage. It takes... I mean, in in this instance, it took literally all of one view to see that the ball had clearly crossed the line. And this has potentially cost this club millions and millions of euros or or pounds, but, you know, euros in these these European club championships. And this can be enough for these teams to bring across a big-name player that they, they otherwise can't afford, who would probably go to a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a Man United. It was clear as day, and I can't believe that they didn't look at it. I wonder if it's this fear of taking too long because I know that in other sports, whenever they go to the third umpire or whenever they go to any sort of review system, there's this concern that it slows down the game and it holds things up and it's not a good viewing experience. But if in a game like soccer where you can have a nil-all draw or there's so little scoring, generally, we'll talk about that more in a sec, but in, in a game where there's so little scoring, why wouldn't you review it every time? In the NFL, they review every score. And, and why not? I mean, most of these won't take that long. I've, I've seen instances where they've been incredibly close offside decisions where it's taken close to 10 minutes for them to make a decision. It's okay there. So what's the difference? You know, especially on something like this where a goal really has been scored. So it, it, it just makes no sense. And it was clear as day. They could have worked it out in a minute, as you say. Florida's the new COVID epicenter. It's set to be the new epicenter of coronavirus given... The cases just keep going up and up. Nothing has changed since last week. It's very worrying for the NBA restart with about six weeks to go before that resumes. I've got to say, I think all American sport is in real trouble across the board. It's got to be said. 
Last week it came out that about a third of the Texas college football team had COVID-19. More and more NBA players seem to be getting it. So the league's just announced some of the provisions for the hub situation. And it seems that one of the ridiculous measures has actually made it through that we talked about uh, with Top Seed staying in the Grand Destino Tower, a gorgeous five-star property. So, so what, the non-playoff teams will sleep under a newspaper on benches in Lake Eola Park and have to take seven buses and a funicular to the stadium? <laughs> well, <laughs> why not? No, I think they actually get pretty good accommodation too, Stewie. But uh, yes, that would make things interesting. On a more serious note, teams will enter the complex on the 7th of July and all staff must wear a proximity alarm, which will go off if they're within close proximity to one another six, for more six than... Feet, six feet, I think. For, for, for more, more than 30 than, seconds, yeah. is it? Um, but f- for some reason, it's not necessary or it's not deemed compulsory for the players. It's only optional for the players. Does this seem right? It, it definitely doesn't seem right. I mean... The players are the ones that that are you know the ones that are going to be having contact with each other. The coaches are generally speaking going to be sitting on the benches you know away from from everyone. So yeah, it just it doesn't seem right that the players who are really the reason that we're doing all of this don't have to have the same sort of precautions. I mean, this just yeah, just it seems baffling. Well, we already know that some of the players are already working out and doing things that they shouldn't be. So LeBron James and Ben Simmons have been working out together. This is really weird for me. So I understand that players are mates and they hang out with each other in the off-season. We're still technically in season. Mm. Should you be training with your foes? Granted, they're in different conferences now, but it's not inconceivable that if things go ahead, the Lakers and Philadelphia 76ers could play in the NBA Finals. I think it's very possible. Do you think it's right that they were working out together? I mean, again, there's there's nothing that explicitly says that they can't. But yeah, I, I must admit, I think back to my days of, of playing sport. And, you know, we grew up playing basketball together. I don't think we ever would have considered, you know, even at school playing basketball with, with the enemy. It's the just... enemy is the enemy. You shake their hands when, when the game's over. But it, I, I find this really weird. But this is a new time in the NBA where in, increasingly, I mean, I don't want to say fraternizing, but it does almost seem like fraternizing. Is, yeah. The old school. You can just imagine a bloke like Charles Oakley looking at that and shaking his head. Oh, you know? God. <laughs> he'd be in the gym knocking guys out but some other things players must wear face masks at all times except when eating obviously in their rooms during a workout or while engaged in physical activity outdoors that isn't within six feet of another person so wiser heads prevail there they also have daily temperature checks and players are not allowed to spit clear their nose wipe the ball on their jersey lick their hands or unnecessarily touch their mouth guards while training in fact i heard recently that they're actually being discouraged from even using mouth guards so we'll uh, trade one aspect of safety for oh, another. Wow. <laughs> Who's going to be the first one to have their teeth knocked out? That's my question. But then they'll participate in five-on-five full contact. Uh, and teams will only be allowed visitors if they advance past the first round of the playoffs. And guests must isolate for a whopping three days. <laughs> three days. That's going to help. But probably the funniest part of this all, Stewie, is the snitch hotline. Oh, the snitch hotline. There've been a few players that have uh, that have already had their say about this. Kyle Kuzma and uh, Monte Morris, I think, were, were both on Twitter very, very vocally, not actually saying much, but using sort of emojis and things to to really uh, voice their displeasure. I suppose my question to you is, Nate, if you were playing, would you take a flagrant against a snitch? Well, it would be interesting. I mean, you'd have to assume that it would be anonymous, and so players wouldn't necessarily know. But but what I do know is D'Angelo Russell won't be snitching on anyone. <laughs> Because he's made that problem before. He's made that mistake before. Well, I don't think Nick Young's in the league at the moment. So. Yeah, well, but but still, I, I, I can almost guarantee the minute this was brought up, players would have immediately thought of D'Angelo Russell. Oh, surely. 
Surely, what a yeah, what an interesting thing. I don't think that will actually go ahead. I can't see anyone really, uh, really getting involved with that. But uh, if blokes are working out with each other from opposite teams, are they really going to be snitching on I, each other? I doubt it. So yes, that will be interesting to monitor over the next few weeks, especially with all the COVID stuff, to see how how this really goes. Let's hope we get a season. Yeah, let's hope. Speaking of uh, sports and, and events that could be potentially delayed, is the U.S. Open or potentially the U.S. closed? Look, I'll start off with something really positive that came out of the US Open. Um, it, it regards the, the wheelchair tournament. So originally that was called off without consulting the players. Um, Dylan Dil- Alcott was very unhappy was about that one. Very, very, and very rightly so. He voiced his displeasure on social media and on the project. And it seems this week the USTA is actually prepared to work with the players towards a 2020 tournament. I mean, he's a 10-time Grand Slam winner. He's a 2016 gold medalist in singles and doubles. He is the player in the world right now, the number one player. So his argument about them not being consulted about the decision is flat out a form of discrimination. I I agree 100%. I mean, a lot of people won't know the name Dylan Alcott or they'll know the name but not actually know what it's attached to. But you've just read a pretty good resume right there. He's had a very, very good career. And it is, I think it is a form of discrimination. And something that we actually haven't talked about but I think we should, which this is a natural place to bring it up, is much like the AFLW. And so you could argue that the powers that be are basically saying that one form of the sport is more important than the other. And in this case, the disabled players are losing out. In the case of the AFL, the AFLW players were losing out. They probably saw the writing on the wall. They probably could have gone straight to a grand final, but instead they went to week one of the finals and then they had to shut it down completely. So absolutely, I think this is a form of discrimination and I think that wiser heads have prevailed and it's a really good sign of the times if they've backtracked on that decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the wheelchair players have been realistically discriminated against for a, a long time. I mean, I think... If I remember correctly, the Australian Open was the first to bring in a wheelchair competition in about 2008. I think the French Open only just started doing it last year. So thankfully it's 2020 and people are starting to, to understand that the quality of tennis that they produce is certainly not... Oh, it's know, very it's very fascinating it's, to watch. It's brilliant. It, honestly, if you, if you ever sit there and watch... It, I remember the gold medal. I, I remember really enjoying that actually yeah, it's, in it's, 2016. It's fascinating. So, so no, look, it, obviously it's great to see the USTA actually being prepared to work with the players on this because it, it is a... It is a great event and it's something that really needs to go ahead. So good on Dylan for, for getting out there and obviously good on the USTA for listening. Absolutely. Now, the fallout from this recent Adria tour, we spoke about it last week, but um, it included players like Novak Djokovic, Alex Zverev, Dominic Team, and who am I forgetting? Uh, Gregor Dimitrov. Oh, yes. COVID-19 positive Gregor Dimitrov, who announced he was positive after losing to world number 33, Borna Choric. Oh, who also announced he is positive for the virus. Oh, dear. So as if this tournament couldn't be criticised any more heavily, they now have not one, but two confirmed cases. And with all of the human contact at the tournament, as well as all the partying and all the other sports that these guys played together, this could very much just be the beginning of the story and threatens to derail the entire US Open before it even starts. It... The partying was concerning, wasn't it? So it's one thing to be playing, and it's one thing to be in open air. And it seems that with the protests going on and different things going on, that people aren't seeming to catch it in open air as bad. But if they're all going to the club afterwards to share drinks and make out and stuff, then any wonder. And I I just saw a very interesting video today uh, of a game between Novak Djokovic and I believe it was Victor Troiki. And halfway through the match, Troiki hands his racket across to what looks like maybe a nine or ten year old, uh, like one of the, the ball boys. And he, he plays, you know, I think he played three points against Djokovic. Good for him. What an amazing experience. 
And then after that's over, Djokovic comes around the net, gives him a big hug, and so does Troiki. And, and it's, it's all, it looks all cute and innocent until you see that and you think, well, Djokovic has now been in contact with not one but two players who have the virus. So does he have it? Is he asymptomatic? Who knows? Yep. And then what happens? Does this young boy now have it who has then potentially passed it on to however many people? It, it's just... A can of worms. It really is. It's, it's incredibly scary. So footy, Shui, eh? Oh, what a week in footy. I guess the biggest news to come out at time of recording is if you had Connor McKenna in your office pool for first player to catch COVID-19 in season resume, you'd be pretty happy. Now, at time of recording, this is all fairly new, so we don't know 100% what's going on. It was only a matter of time. We knew someone would get it. We didn't know how or what would happen. There's some rumblings that perhaps it's a false positive. We don't know that for sure. It doesn't really matter in some senses because it's stuff that needs to be looked at and thought about anyway. The thing I find perhaps funniest about this is that in the last, say, week and a half, there's been growing and growing calls to extend the footy back to 20-minute quarters. Why do we have 16-minute... No, it's all fine. Let's go back to 20. And those voices have just got louder and louder and louder. And they probably peaked on Saturday until this news came out. Reminding us all, shocking us all back into reality as to why they made some of the rule changes they did, including the shortened quarters, because Essendon and Melbourne was postponed. Yeah, it's, this is a, obviously a, a huge story. And I, I mean, I know uh, certainly at the time, I know you were at the pub having a, having a couple of beers and I was, I was sitting at home with the, with the little ones watching and... You know, we heard that Gillian McLaughlin was going to be having a press conference in 30 minutes, and I think we both had the same reaction of, oh shit, this is serious. If it's in 30 minutes, I think I texted you saying that I think this means that a Victorian player has tested Yeah, no, positive. credit to you. You are absolutely 100% right. I, I will, there was, there was, yeah. no, it, was, it wasn't going to be good news. As soon as, I'm trying to remember where it was, maybe halfway through the third quarter, there yeah, was, was kind towards, of rumblings yeah. that there would be a press conference immediately after, after the, the game. game. Yep. And as you say, yeah, you sent me a message and yeah, it, 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 we knew it wasn't going to be good. No, no, there's never going to be uh, rainbows and lollipops with that sort of thing. So apparently he broke the rules and visited people he shouldn't have. He did. He also attended an open house viewing, uh, because I think his lease was up that's and the, right, the rental. Right. So yeah, he's him done and his he... partner did that, and he also and th- this is quite interesting. So players are allowed to visit immediate family, and he visited his ostensibly host family. Yes, the, because he's an Irishman. Yep. So he's come over from the Gaelic football. He's come to Australia to play in the AFL, and it's been a really successful pipeline, as we all know. Starting with the great Jim Steins, may he rest in peace, uh, and then the great Ty Kennelly for the Swans. Anyway. So some people are saying that, well, you know, did he break the rules in that sense? Because they're kind of his immediate family and that they're his host family. It's another grey one. It, it is. And there's, I think it might have been Jared Waitley was, was saying, has he really done much more than a lot of Victorians have done? You know, unfortunately, the, the state as a whole has kind of been, yeah, sort of given that wake up call that maybe they broke ranks a little bit too quickly, I guess, and trying trying to get back to to normality, and and this this is kind of what happens, I guess. So, the the future for Essendon and certainly for McKenna not looking great. I mean, there's talk that he'll be suspended for the foreseeable future. He may potentially. I don't think they'll go as far as a life ban, um, but I mean, there's no. But they're saying. I mean, who was it? I think it was Cam Mooney said that this could be his career anyway because he might just decide that he's the first. Whoever's the first is going to cop it. Yep. He So he'll cop it potentially for the rest of his career. He might just decide to go back to Ireland and play in the Gaelic again. It's it's possible, yeah. I mean, 
certainly, you know, Essendon matches, they've said at this stage that they'll go ahead as long as they have 26 players or more. That may not be that easy this week. I don't know what... Well, for a myriad of reasons. So he, he was obviously, he's in the back line and they've been allowing, I think it was it eight players to, to drill together. I think so, yeah. And so, understandably so, although this wisdom may be reviewed, understandably so, players are training with players of their ilk. So all the backmen were, were training together and potentially, if all eight of them are rubbed out, Essendon may be playing a game without a backman. I wish it had been before the Sydney game, but anyway... So this is really interesting. Teams will have to really rethink if, if they end up in a similar situation. You could have blokes who normally play forward playing in the back with no idea what they're doing. You could have Ruckman. Who knows what they'll have to do. But if the show must go on... Then the show must go on, effectively, the show yeah. must go on. Um, I wonder if, it's, if there's a, a, a quick minute for me to sidestep to a, a very humorous, similar story out of, uh, out of Russia by oh, any chance. Oh, please, please do. There was a... a Really interesting story that I read uh, about FC Sochi and FC Rostov in the Russian Premier League. So the uh, the Russian Premier League's actually just started up again from the uh, the weekend just gone. And the FC Rostov team actually had a confirmed case. And FC Sochi decided that, you know what, we're not going to give you the chance to postpone the game. You either, and apparently it was well within their rights, and they basically said, look, you either field a team or you forfeit one of the two, which obviously Essendon are not going to do that's not the way that they're going to do it but the, the way that this game worked out was that uh the fc rostov actually fielded a team with an average age of just over 17 average age an average age wow so this is basically just a group of boys effectively playing against men and a good number of the players on fc sochi were russian internationals as well so this is you know, a huge step up. Did uh, these boys kick a goal, Stewie? They did, actually. They scored within the first minute, funnily enough. A guy named Roman Romanov, who, uh, yeah, scored in the first minute. Unfortunately, it went downhill from there, and uh, FC Sochi scored the next 10. But uh, <laughs> but amazingly, the uh, the FC Rostov goalkeeper was actually named Man of the Match because of saving a penalty and about another 15 shots. So it very easily could have been double that. Wow. Um, so I, I guess, can't imagine there'd be too many blokes that have allowed 10 in and, and been man of the match. I can't, unless the other team scored 25 or 30. But for me, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, an example of what can sort of happen, I guess, in, in other leagues. But going back in all seriousness, so this is a, a huge question mark over not just Essendon, but potentially the rest of the league. And, you know, what happens with these teams that are coming out of... Uh, you know, if you look at teams like Richmond, for example, who have to come up to Queensland to play the Eagles in a, in a couple of weeks... What happens then in terms of, do they have to do the self-isolation for two weeks? Same deal with if the Eagles and Dockers ever get back to Perth. Hey, we might be playing out of Perth soon enough because of how well the cases are going here. And McGowan's maybe not looking as bad as he had did to some people initially. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, he's... Managed to keep it under control here. Yep. So I, guess... I mean, they're, they're reporting that we could have 30,000 people in the crowd yep. in Perth in less than a month's time. And, and a full stadium by the end of the season. We're doing, so we're doing WA okay. Hub could happen. We're doing okay. We're yeah, doing okay. it's interesting. So, it's interesting. Not sure it'll help either of our teams, to be honest. Over well, here, you but, might need it. But uh, yeah, very much. So I guess my my last question on this before we move on to the the actual round three itself, what do you think is a reasonable punishment for Connor McKenna being the first guy, given what we know right now? Oh well, oh, this this is a really tough one. So 
I think the AFL has to be seen to be doing something by now because we had the situation with the Crows prior to round one where people pretty much thought it was a slap on the wrist. So how many slaps on the wrist can they give? Mm. I think it's a shortened season. I think you've got to suspend him for at least half of the remaining season. But it's, I mean, we're in a situation now where the 16-minute quarters have become very apparent and we could potentially have matches... So the, the Essendon-Melbourne game was postponed. The Essendon-Carlton game upcoming this weekend is in doubt. So they potentially have to reschedule two of those somewhere. And, and I think Carlton are saying, hey, if they got 26 blokes, so 22 plus a bench, they got to play. Yep. So, so it's going to be really interesting to see. And they're going to need to make some pretty hard decisions pretty quickly. And that will set a precedent. You can't just keep slapping guys on the wrists, surely. Well, and the thing is, he's not even the first player from Essendon. You've got Brandon Zerk Thatcher, who was uh, who was suspended as well for for breaching the coronavirus protocols. Only, what did he get? How many? I, I, those I Adelaide players got a suspended sentence. They didn't even get a week. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact amount actually, but um, he, I know he was certainly suspended for the the match against Sydney, and I, I don't think he played. Well, he didn't play over the weekend. So, but there's every potential for more cases to come out here because apparently he was spitting and doing the old one nostril. Sn- not you know yeah. on, on the ground where they were having full contact drills and tackling so it's very conceivable that at least one of his teammates has caught it possibly multiple you have to imagine yeah so Essendon's good start to the season has turned sour very quickly and obviously off the back of peptide scandals and such just when some of their fans thought things might have been getting a little bit better they're in the shit again they are they are um, before we get into the the actual the roundup of, of round three, because certainly a lot of things did happen in round three and the topsy-turvy nature of this AFL season continues, I have a couple of questions that I want to throw at you, Nath. What the hell is happening with the goal kicking this season? <laughs> well, the accuracy hasn't been good, has it? And I dare say that's why the Swans got over the line on Saturday is because North just kept missing. I've honestly seen some of the worst shots for goal I've ever seen. I... Uh, one of the, the Gold Coast players actually hit the ground before he hit the ball from 10, 15 metres out. Uh, I think Toddy Goldstein had probably one of the worst out-of-bounds on the full I've, I've ever seen, for, again, from probably about 20, 30 out. We've seen multiple players not even making the distance from 35, 40 metres out, which is just insane. It, it's it's almost like a miracle when somebody, somebody puts one through it. Well, there's also been situations in games where blokes have missed pretty easy shots from 20-odd out in situations where it could have potentially turned the match or at least kept the match alive. Gary Ablett. Well, I'm thinking of a couple in the Dockers-Port game yesterday too. Sonny had one. Yeah, Nat Fife had one um, as well. So, yeah, no, it's definitely a problem. I, I don't know if it's because of the long layoff and the lack of pre-season. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go back to some of these AFL-X and, and you know, some of the other sort of pre-season comps just oh, to oh, see. Oh, I mean, no. I, I, mean I, I, wouldn't, oh, I wouldn't necessarily want to watch it, but I, I just almost wonder if it is that bad. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. But I never want to watch AFLX again. True. The other question I have as well, and I don't, I don't know if anyone else has, has noticed this, but has the running too far rule disappeared? Well, I can think of a few occasions in the last fortnight where it's happened, and I'll let you talk about that more, but I reckon the distance between kicks for a mark... That's what gets me. Yep. But the running too far one. I mean, I I watched at least at least six and a half of the of the eight games on the weekend. There was a couple of instances where I, I swear to God I saw guys taking the ball from from a, a behind and running it 
halfway out to the 50, possibly further. You know, it just looks like they're running 25, 30 meters, and you're thinking, these guys haven't had a bounce. What? Is... I don't know. I didn't see a single one get called all weekend, and I, I just don't know what's happened to that rule. Well, to be honest, if a single one hasn't got called, and I agree, the couple that come to mind for me weren't called either. If they're consistent with not calling, I'm okay with that. Mm. The thing that really bothers me is the not 15 for a mark. Yep. So consistently blokes will get paid a mark of a kick that goes about five meters and often it will lead to a goal and it really bothers me and it's bothered me for years actually it's been going on for far too long and really if they're going to make it five just make it five change the rule but perhaps the the most interesting one was yesterday in the Port Frio game where someone's chipped it to Nat Fife I can't remember who it was around midfield on the wing someone's chipped it to Nat Fife it's only gone about five meters he's he's caught it he's tried to claim the mark I remember that one. The yeah. commentators all have a go at him, right? And and I I must admit I kind of did too. I'm like, well, there's no way that you know that's not 15 meters. No, he he should not have claimed that. But sure enough, literally about a minute later, Port had the exact same situation. One of their players chipped it to another player five meters. The umpire calls a mark. They get a goal out of it, and it just happens far too often. Yep. Just be consistent. If you're not going to call it at all, I'm happy about that than being really inconsistent. And as I say, it always seems to lead to goals. Yep. And that's really annoying. Yeah, tell me about it. But anyway, all right, let's get into the games. So, geez, it's a, it's a tipper's nightmare, isn't it? There's absolutely no form line. Port is maybe the only team that's smashed Pretty much. Teams you, back-to-back you, weeks. You may as well just throw a throw a dart at the wall and see where it lands, basically. It is... And you'd be just as lucky to tip a postponement as you would a winner. <laughs> you would. We've already had a draw, too. This is true. But on Thursday, uh, Hawthorne handily beat Richmond. And yes, Dusty Martin was out. But Josh Caddy came back. They had a few guys come back. Surely Dusty is not that big a difference, is he? I certainly don't think he's that big a difference. It, very interestingly enough, though, I think one of the huge differences for, from Hawthorne was the the inclusion of Jager Amira. He really set this game up early. He had four touches nice and early in the first probably four and a bit minutes of the game. He had guys like Isaac Smith, Chad Wingard, James Sicily, just constantly keeping the ball. Isaac head, Smith head. was magnificent. He, he was, was racking, up, racking up the possessions. I think he had 21 possessions only five minutes into the second. Yeah, he was he was amazing. An absolute ball magnet. Um, I also thought Jonathan Segler's tackle and goal right at the end of the first quarter might have actually been a bit of an early nail in the coffin. It, funnily enough, marked the first time since 1961 that Richmond had gone consecutive weeks without kicking a goal in the first quarter. A year they finished 10th out of 12 sides. So it doesn't bode well for a side that many had potentially playing for the flag, effectively. So. And after going an entire calendar year without losing a match... Yep, they're they're look, now looking very shaky. They're looking very shaky. Um, I mean, intercept marks were huge in the in the first half. We got a glimpse of Richmond, I guess, early in the third, like the Richmond that we all know. But um, there was just too much of the same stuff, and they only produced one goal basically for it. So I'm starting to worry a little bit about Richmond's ability to lock the ball inside forward fifty and actually kick a winning score. They kicked the equal second lowest score of round two. Jack Rewalt has not looked good, has he? He's looked terrible. He's one of the, the players, funnily enough, that struggled to make the distance from a mark 35 out was Rewalt. I think it finished up about five or six metres short. So, you And know, Lynch started okay, but he fell away as well. He, he Yeah, he, yeah, very, very true. So, I mean, they failed to reach 40 points for the second 
straight week, even after dominating the inside 50, 17 to 2 in the fourth quarter. Wow. They were just very wasteful in front of goal, highlighted, funnily enough, by Tom Lynch, misfiring from the top of the goal square. And really, even with that dominance in the inside 50s, they only really managed to, to cut the, the margin by a couple of goals. Probably a toss-up for you know, for best on ground between O'Meara and Smith. Um, but just a lot of really great performances by the Hawks. And it probably highlights some of the importance of Dustin Martin, but Richmond actually had some troubles in front of goal last season too. Um, they had scores 5-7 against Geelong, 7 goals 10 against the Bulldogs, 9-8 versus North Melbourne, and 9-14 versus Adelaide. So, And three of those were rounds 11, 12, and 13. So had three fairly average scores in a row, and obviously in full quarters. So I guess, question, is this something for Richmond fans to worry about? I think it's too early to worry, but I, I think that they certainly can't assume that they can just rock up and win. And who knows, if there's hubs in Perth, they might have to come over to Perth. Nothing's guaranteed. You want to be banking those wins as much as you can. So they've got a draw and a loss out of the restart so far. So it's a, it's a bit concerning for them, but they're certainly still in better shape than some teams. Perhaps one of them, the Giants, who got their comeuppance after beating the Dogs last year. The Dogs had a comfortable four-goal win on Friday night, Stewie. Yeah, I mean, Josh Kelly was probably a huge loss right before the game. And one thing I will say, actually, it's kind of refreshing to see a game between two teams that genuinely don't like each other. Um, it, I mean, it very nearly boiled over before the first bounce down. But I, the thing I really enjoyed about watching this game was just seeing the Dogs taking the game on and pressuring the way they did on the way to their 2016 Premiership. They were, just, they were relentless. Um, they finished plus 16 in the tackle count, which I think probably highlights that. I know you actually mentioned last week about the inclusions. You know, will they include Toby McLean and Tom Liberatore? Those blokes were absolutely inspirational. And, you know, Caleb Daniel was great around the contest. If they hadn't been wasteful in front of goal, the game probably would have been over a lot earlier. It's it's finally the dogs starting to look like the team that people thought they were. And I think for the Giants... I got a little bit seduced by some of the experts claiming that they might be pretty good this year. They're not looking too good, are they? And I think the thing that I keep forgetting is the blokes they lost. So Dylan Shield, that was a big Huge. loss for them. Yeah. Um, John Patton, I think they could probably handle losing him a bit better. But some of those losses are starting to show, aren't they, mm. as far as player exits are concerned? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Patton looked not too bad this weekend as well. But it's it's hard to pick too many guys that were great for GWS. I thought Nick Haynes was, was really good early. He probably kept them in the game. But it, it, the game was probably highlighted for me by a couple of really key errors. There was a huge drop mark in the last two minutes of the first half by Sam Taylor, which led to a, a fairly easy, easy goal by Wendell from the Simpsons, a.k.a. Mitch Wallace. <laughs> and then an absolutely calamitous opening goal for the third. Heath Shaw, basically. Really, really experienced player, but a, a simple hand pass across goal, and he put it over the top of two teammates' heads straight to Ed Richards in the goal square. For a, for a goal and you know I do I worry about the Giants being able to kick a winning score as well um, they had their lowest first half score since 2012 their efficiency inside 50 was less than 45% of the game but it was only just 30% in the first half which is horrendous um, and a number of players are continuing to struggle to make the distance it's just it's a it's the same story for, for a number of teams. So just a, a hideous performance by the Giants. And they've got Collingwood and Hawthorne over the next two weeks. I see you checking the form. I guys. was. I was just about to say they've got Collingwood coming up next week too. They are in big danger of finishing one and four. And I know I you know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about them being losers from it. I did not pick them to be this big a loser out of it, but they're struggling. Yeah, it surprised me too. Yeah, it definitely but, did. 
But, I mean, the flip side, what a great bounce back from the Dogs. You know, it sets up a cracking fixture next Thursday against the Swans. Um, Caleb Daniel didn't have huge numbers, but for me, he was actually probably best on ground. Um, Jack McRae, maybe a close second. And I'll give a bit of praise to big Tim English as well. He had some fantastic uh, efforts filling the hole in defense and taking intercept marks. So I thought he was he was good. So the, this week, there were a few more injuries, Stewie. The dogs were not unaffected. Yeah, bad news from the match is uh, Josh Dunkley looks likely to miss around six weeks with a very high ankle sprain from the dying seconds of the game. These are the ones you They're hate. They're the ones, yeah, you do. You, just, you really do. You just hate them. I saw that one too, and that, that's exactly where your mind goes. You think, why? You know, why? Yeah. And you know the coach is thinking, oh, why didn't I pull off one of my midfielders? But yeah. you, they can't all be sitting on the bench at the end of a match, can they? So. Well, I mean, for you and I being massive NBA fans, it takes me back to Derek Rose in the in the first round against Philadelphia and I think it was 2012 where when Tibbs was playing him like 45 out of 48 minutes a game yeah. and pretty much ran him into the ground and, and he's up, never been the same yeah, since they're up 12 with a minute and a half to go and he should have been on the bench and probably ruined a Hall of Famer's career so yeah you, you hate to see that sort of stuff and I mean I, especially a player like Dunkley who's a real up-and-comer he's, he's an absolute gun so yeah, it's not. not and of course, with great. the Sydney connection, it's a shame with his old man being uh, one of our fullbacks in the in the nineties. It's a shame that he doesn't get to play his old man's team next week as well. Yeah, that's that's very true. Very true. We love these storylines too, that's of course. That, that's it. Not only injuries, Stu. There was a bit of biffo too. There was a bit. Look, it was good to see Aaron Norton avoid sanction for, I guess, running through the line of the ball against Lockie Whitfield in the first quarter. Um, I actually thought he might have been in a bit of trouble because Whitfield had to go down to the rooms, uh, I believe, with a concussion and, and he never actually returned. But hallelujah, the MRP did not look at the result of an incident for once. So that, That's a big bugaboo for you, isn't it, Stuart? Oh, it really frustrates me. So it is It is nice to see. You know, Wayne Carey was talking about it on the broadcast about how he, he, he put his head down He's looking at the ball. He's run straight through the line. It's unfortunate, obviously, for uh, for Whitfield, but I, I'm really glad to see that that he didn't have a case to answer there. It's nice to hear that Wayne Carey actually said something as well. <laughs> it's Seriously, just... I can watch the footy. I can watch ten minutes and hear his voice and go, "Oh, is he commentating?" <laughs> his his pay to word ratio would be pretty rich, I reckon. Be pretty darn good. But no, he I I agreed entirely with that. I, I think it was it was great that he, he avoided that. So. Probably the, um, the the big one, though, was the end of the third quarter. Things finally boiled over with a decent-sized stoush. And eight Bulldogs and seven Giants accepting fines of 500 for a uh, for a melee or engaging in a melee. A lot of this goes back to the uh, the incident involving Marcus Bont and Pelly and, uh, and Nick Hayes from a couple of games ago where uh, the Bont has basically put the elbow in and I believe he fractured his larynx. So uh, the, the Giants... The bad were, blood continues. Yeah, the Giants seem to be looking for a fight all day and they finally got one. So I actually thought I saw a couple of punches thrown at the time. So uh, I honestly thought that there might have been a suspension or two out of it, but good to see that it's just a... A financial thing. So, on that little note, though, I guess of the the Haynes and Bontempelli thing, what did you make of Nick Haynes taking the coin toss and staring down? Marcus oh, I love, Bontempelli? I love it, I love it. Obviously, we love the histories and we love the rivalries and stuff. And I do love a modern rivalry too. So it's it's always good when. You, you feel like the newer teams, whenever a new team enters a competition, you can gain legitimacy in different ways. You can gain legitimacy by being successful and winning. But it's also this other stuff like creating rivalries. And I love the Dogs-Giants rivalry. I love it. And I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it's great. I did I did think the stare down was great. He even stared him down while he was pointing the direction that he wanted to go after he won the, the coin toss. Now the next question... Didn't quite work for him though, did no, it? No, it certainly didn't. But do uh, did GWS have problems with their upcoming draw? So they scored 60 points last week, only 33 this week. They had some low-scoring games last season, 29 and 38 against the Hawks in their two games, including the, the UNSW snow game. 
uh, 52 against West Coast. So it can happen that they have these runs with you know really low scores, but they've proven that they can still make noise in terms of, I guess, their success last season. But how bad a restart is this for them? I mean, is it too early to panic? I think it is too early to panic, particularly because we only have one undefeated team, and so the ladder's pretty bunched. So every team has lost at least one game except one team. So I think I think the warning signs are strong. I don't think it's panic stations yet, but it could be pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. I will correct you there. Collingwood haven't lost a game yet. They had the draw. Oh, sorry. Okay. But, but no, there's sorry, only, as there's far only, as wins are concerned. Only, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you yeah, mean. No, fair fair call, mean. though. Fair call. Question for you. Does anyone have a more random set of tattoos than Tom Libertore? He's got a Homer Simpson and Jeremy Friedman, a.k.a. squeaky voice team combo on his guns. So a bit of a, uh, I believe it's from the, the scene where, where Homer goes in looking for Grease and, and just looks him in the eye and says, my God, you're greasy. So he's got that on his on his arms. He's got a fruit and nut bar on his lower arm. He's got a gingerbread man on his calf. And my absolute favorite is uh, the one on his leg. If lost, call. And then it's got his best mate's mum's number on it. He's he's got quite a sense of humor, Tom, Tom Libris. He's, quirky. he's, he's great quirky. for the game. He he's is. great for the game. And look... It's remiss of me not to bring up some other big news in sport regarding the Simpsons with all these Simpsons references you make, Stewie. Mm, go on. A particular computer game, Lee Carvello's putting <laughs> challenge. <laughs> I did see that. Oh, Carvello's putting challenge. The famous ball is in parking lot game has, has actually become a flash game, uh, which you can basically, I don't think you have to download it. You literally just jump on a website. So, so you why buy Bonestorm when you can buy a Lee Carvello's putting challenge? It's a game every 10-year-old wants. So, no, look, if, uh, if any of you did grow up watching The Simpsons and, and you've always wanted to have a go at hitting a ball into the parking lot, you know, <laughs> might, might I suggest uh, Feather Sounds Touch? Sounds like my normal game. Or yeah. might I suggest Feather Touch? Power Drive. Uh, of course, so, you no, have selected you, Power Drive. You certainly can do that. But, no, I, the, the other thing I love about the, uh, the tattoos on Liberatore is that it's not like he's got a full sleeve or he's got the sort of the Dane Swan thing going. His tattoos are socially distancing. They're all... <laughs> They're all they're all so far. Oh, he's ahead of his time. He is. He's ahead of his time. He's a visionary. Oh, that's great. And I guess on on a similarly humorous note, does it appear to you that a lot of the players spent their time away growing mullets? Someone like a Bailey Smith, or these dirty, dirty moustaches. Jeremy Cameron's comes to mind, and not much else based on the quality of kicking. I I think there's a bit of seventies coming back in the fashion. Good. Yeah, in the facial hair, the hair, it's 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 great. There's not enough of it. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yep. In the early Saturday game, the Swans beat the Kangaroos only by eleven in the end, but the game was probably not that close. Not even, not even close. Absolutely cracking response by the Swans in a fixture that I had actually mentioned they hadn't lost since 2007. So they yes, can, that they, was they continue their Marvel dominance over the Roos. There, the Roos jumped them early. It actually looked like Ben Brown was getting ready to take the game away from Sydney, but after probably the first maybe 10 minutes, it became a bit of an arm wrestle, and it seemed like Sydney kind of took that early punch from North and, and turned it around. I thought Tommy Papley was absolutely sensational. He was. He was a real concern for North, and Luke McDonald was just given fits by him. And then it came. Another absolute Barry Crocker of a score review. Isaac Heaney, I, I thought it was clear as day him having possession of the ball before the uh, the behind line, but it gets called a, a rushed behind. Natural justice. He played very well too, it's got to he, be said. Heans was fantastic. One of our best. Yeah. He was fantastic. A little bit of natural justice, I guess, as Will Haywood actually converted from the pocket not long after. I think it was a turnover from the, uh, from the kick-in, but... 
But then not long after that, there's a mark from Jared Polek, which looks to be every bit as controlled on the line as Heaney's. And Heaney's actually took took his... You know, no taken, bubbling. Yeah, yeah he's taken yep. his cleanly. Polek, I think, might have uh, juggled his. And then somehow they came up with a rush behind for Heaney, but a mark for Polek. So I, I have no confidence in the score reviews right now. It's very frustrating. I'm inconclusive about the score reviews. Oh, that word. Oh, just... I think the inaccuracy was the story of the game and the Ruse bad kicking early was was what undid them as you say and and in the end it was 21 scoring shots to 20 so so it was quite even in the end but gee the Ruse were racking up those behinds pretty much the first three quarters yeah that's pretty much the difference definitely I mean, in terms of the players, aside from Robbie Tarrant, I thought North's defence was pretty horrible. Um, a lot of clangers, a lot of repeat entries from the Swans as a result of the turnovers. Aside from Robbie Tarrant, Jai Simpkin I thought was superb. But 14 touches from Zebel, 11 from Higgins, it, that makes it tough for, for North all the time. Um, as I said before, Tom Papley was outstanding, leading the forwards. He looked dangerous every time he went near the ball. He really did. He had a couple of assists as well. If he wasn't kicking goals, he was setting other blokes up. He probably had two of the best handballs you'll see from a small forward, but the the player of the game for me, yeah, was certainly that amazing over the uh, the shoulder he had to to James Rowbottom. Um, and Rowbottom's shown a bit in the first two weeks. I got to say, I'm I'm hopeful about him. Yeah, and he looks he looks very composed, which is uh, which is what you want from the young players. Look, Kennedy and Parker, the usual, you know, the old firm. They were they were fantastic. Lloyd and uh, and Heaney were, were great as well. So, just too many of the top players in this game were from Sydney, unfortunately. And North kicked the last four goals to make the game look a lot closer than it was, but it. It really wasn't as anywhere near as close as that. Um, a little bit of a sad finish, unfortunately, in a, in a very average fourth quarter. It looks like Tom McCartan will be probably out with a concussion. After well, we had too many tall forwards still around, so we don't need to lose Yeah, who, who needs one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, little, oh, devastating. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine. I, I certainly can. I don't like our chances against the dogs. Well, it'll be, it will be interesting. So, A um, couple of questions for you. Do you think Ollie Florent can be an All-Australian? I think this season, do you mean? You can, you can answer for both this season and I, moving I think forward. ever, definitely. I think he definitely can in the future. Mm. I think, obviously, he plays a position where it's pretty hard to get a nod. So I don't know if he will this season, but he started very strong. He seems to have taken the next step, which is what you want out of your young blokes that have played a few seasons. He's got a few seasons under the belt, got a few training pre-seasons under the belt. So he's definitely taken the next step. It's really great for the Swans midfield. And look, I don't think he will this year, but there's every possibility that he could in the future. So Absolutely. 21, 27, and 22 possessions in the three games so far. He's looking very, very good. He had a bit of a slow start against the Roos, to be fair, but he really came alive in the second half. I think that given they played pretty well last week, uh, the, uh, they played okay on the weekend, I think North will be okay. I think North will be yeah. okay. Yeah, well, I mean, they looked good, obviously. I mean, against a, a GWS side that hasn't played well, but they, they looked very good. So. Although they do have Hawthorne coming up, so that could be That'd very be a interesting. Very good challenge for them, so... Obviously then, yeah, as we previously alluded to, we had the announcement that Conor McKenna had uh, tested positive. So that was a, a real, uh, yeah, real eye-opener at that stage of, of the day. And Well, that, that, so that happened immediately after the game finished, basically. Yes. Uh, and we were kind of, if I'm not mistaken, it was maybe halfway through the third where they were announcing that Gil was going to say something and we all kind of were on tenterhooks and we weren't surprised. And I, I dare say it did put a bit of a dampener on the rest of the round. Didn't yeah, it, it did. It did. But Collingwood comfortably beat St Kilda to continue the round. Absolute out-and-out clinic by the Pies. Um, Collingwood looked at that stage about as clean as anyone I'd seen in terms of the possession. Jaden Stevenson and Jordan Ngoi got on the scoreboard early. At one stage in this game, to really highlight how one-sided it was in terms of pressure and precision, the mark count was 23-3. to 
and wow. the, the tackle count was 16 to 2. Well, and how's this? St Kilda kicked the first goal of the match. They did. And then they only had another four for the rest of the entire match. Ex- so, exactly. So, yeah, it was pretty comprehensive, wasn't it? And, and we've got to remember, they are shortened quarters. So yeah. a 44 point win in shortened quarters is yeah. almost like a 65, 60, yeah. 60 yeah, so 65 yeah. in normal games. So it was pretty comprehensive. It, it and really that was, was after the Saints upset the Dogs last week. Yep. They looked, they looked good last week. They did not look great this week. So it, it just felt like the Collingwood mids, like your Pendlebury's, your side bottoms, Taylor Adams, they all had just so much time to make their decisions. The Saints players barely had enough time to think. So. Um, and finally, some straight kicking in the first half, at least. So, you know, it was, it was certainly good. Look, St Kilda were just smashed around the stoppages, you know, especially on the scoreboard. Brody Grundy was magnificent. I mean, Collingwood probably looked like the best side, if not, you know, around equal with Port. St Kilda looked like they were a very different side to last week. And probably the only real exciting thing for me was, was Dan Butler. I thought he looked fantastic. But I'm, I'm all for taking the game on, but not for the sake of taking it on. And there were a couple of times, you know, I hate naming names, but Brad Hill, he was, he seemed to try and take on the game a little bit too much. And it, it resulted in Collingwood just slinging the ball back over, over their heads for scores. So, yeah, just absolutely clinical. And with Richmond GWS and the Eagles struggling, I, I, they really should be pushing for top two as as, as, as a start and, and probably looking to go deep into the into the finals. And... Absolutely, they should. And everyone keeps mentioning with these WA hubs that, oh, send Collingwood over to WA. They never travel. So it'll be interesting. They might get tested later in the they season. Play, they play well in person. Well, they do. But it's also important to bank those wins early. Yes. So they could set themselves up pretty nicely. And I, I think you'd have to give them the edge over Port at the moment oh, as far as favourites are concerned. Yeah, in terms yeah. of who they've played. So the Pies have conceded just 15 goals in their first three games. The first time they've done that in 105 years. So obviously with Richmond, GWS and West Coast all struggling, are the Pies premiership favourites? Now, we have to put an asterisk next to that stat with the shortened quarters, of course. True. Uh, and it's really interesting, after we talked about asterisk seasons, um, Eddie on, on Footy Classified last week was talking about trying to shrink the asterisk. So there's going to be an asterisk. It's going to be a small one. But we want it to be as small as possible, and that's why they potentially share the hubs and maybe send people over here to Perth and that yep. sort of thing. And sorry, I've, I've foreshadowed your question, but yes, I do. I think they'd have the slight edge at the moment, definitely. But, I think that's, that's but fair. But those two would be the top two, definitely, on form. Yep. Then <sighs> in... Now we move on to yes, <laughs> the bit I've been dreading. Uh, yes, up in Queensland, Brisbane had a very comfortable win over the Eagles by 30. Everyone's touted the Eagles midfield as being the best. People are starting to think twice about that one. Nope. Yeah, the uh, the Gold Coast troubles continue for for my boys. Pretty reasonable start. I mean, for me, the, the moment that I knew that we were probably not destined to win this game was with nine seconds left in the first quarter. Elliot Yo hacks a soccer from the uh, from the goal square. It was always going to land with a Brisbane player, and he was always going to convert after the siren. And for me, that just felt really ominous. It took until the second half, but Brisbane just showed a level that West Coast don't have right now. Um, Lockie Neal looks like a Brownlow threat. The usual suspects here, you know, Humic suitcase, uh, Jared Bynes and uh, Cameron Ellis Yeoman. He's the new hyphen, I believe. They were just brilliant for the Lions in the second half. And the, the controlled precision of kicking from guys like Daniel Rich and Grant Birchall just, it saw Brisbane break out of their back line way too easily. I think you're absolutely right about Lockie Neal. I mean, how well have they come off lately? Charlie Cameron, Lockie Neal. Is it any wonder they climbed up the ladder so quickly? Mm. Their recruiting in the last 18 months has been magnificent. It's easy to forget they were bottom of the ladder a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, well, exactly. They've climbed real quick. Brilliant. Absolutely meteoric. But I guess on the other side, there's questions all across the park from the Eagles. Aside from Andrew Gaff, Nick Natanui and Liam Ryan, I I can't really place a single player I would say that played well. Um, Up front, Kennedy and Darling are non-factors at the moment. The the greasy ball's just not suiting them. 
Um, in the midfield, Dom Sheed was basically invisible. Luke Shuey got tagged out of the game. And considering Jack Redden and Elliot Yo both played for Brisbane, it's it's like they'd never played on the Gabba surface before. It's like they're in another planet. Shannon, I, I, it's funny you mention that. I thought Redden was quite disappointing, wasn't he? he well, he has been the last couple of weeks, yeah. unfortunately. But um, I, I must admit, I didn't see the whole game, but I saw bits and pieces. No, he was just non-factor again. But defensively, Shannon Hearn, unfortunately, starting to look a step or two slow. Um, evidenced by him taking a mark in the fourth and being run down from behind fairly easily. Um, Tom Barris used to be one of the best intercept markers in the comp. Now he's scared to even try and mark the footy. Seems to be spoiling everything. Liam Duggan and Brad Shepard, I guess, I-, I liked their effort, but every time the ball went inside 50, it just felt like Brisbane were going to score. I guess, as as Dorothy once famously said in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. <laughs> so, I-, I did just want to very quickly, though, say momentum is a hell of a thing in football. I hate talking about umpiring but there was a very dubious free kick to start the third quarter which gifted Jared Berry a goal and all of a sudden everything from the bounce of the ball the 50-50s all of that went Brisbane's way from there on it was very frustrating to watch but well it was another one of those games where one team ran over the top of the other late wasn't it they really did and and the Eagles were I don't know I, I that's the part of the game I saw and and even though they were kind of there on the scoreboard it did still feel like Brisbane had it under oh, control it but, definitely but, did um, and I'm certainly not blaming that one decision on us losing we were absolutely done but yeah just disappointing what is the point where it becomes time to start blooding new players is it one and five or does it just just feel worse than it is because it's just round three uh, it, it, it's such a unique season, isn't it? I mean, we don't even know the fixtures beyond round five. Mm. So I, I think these are the sort of questions you'd ask in a normal season, but I don't know if you can ask them now. But I think the concern for the Eagles and their fans would be the momentum. Let's stick with that phrase that you used earlier. Not, and not a game momentum, but a season momentum. Mm. So it'd be really easy for them to start getting down and to start lowering their heads and to start really losing confidence. And they, they just they, they really need to try and shock themselves back. Port doesn't get any easier for them this week. Nope. So they're going to be really tested because after that, they we've have got, we've Richmond. Got Richmond. But I mean, again, Richmond will be champing at the bit because they've been disappointing. So I think it, it's a good question. I think they will have to ask some serious questions if they lose their next two. Which, unfortunately, is looking more and more likely. In the other night game now, unfortunately, neither of us saw it, and I guess we probably wish we did, because it was quite an interesting one. Carlton, in almost a carbon copy of their game against Melbourne, but in the reverse, Carlton came out hot and then nearly managed to give it away late and and snatch defeat from the jaws of victory against Geelong in a two-point thriller. How about those blue baggers, though? And how about the parity of the league? It's What else could we expect in 2020 than a game like this? Carlton absolutely jumped the Cats with a five-goal to one first quarter, thanks to nine touches from Paddy Cripps and Michael Gibbons. Uh, a couple of goals from Eddie Betts as well. But I think what was even more amazing was that they blew it out to 42 points in the third quarter and you just assumed the game was over. A lot of people would have been turning off at that point. Yeah, well, that's that's it. I, I must admit, I um, was tempted to throw that one on the phone and put the Eagles on the TV, but... I just thought, oh, I won't worry about it. And then uh, Geelong made their run. They, they kicked the only five goals of the fourth quarter, but probably one of the most comical quarter... Well, there's just so many comical things about this. Brian Meyer's decision to play on and snap around the corner when Geelong had a free kick 20 metres out, almost directly in front, which ended up being touched on the line, was just... Yeah, I couldn't understand that. Gary Ablett, who I mentioned in a cough earlier on about missing a set shot, basically a cactus could have converted from, you know, straight in front. He would... Never miss those. Kept Carlton ahead. 
And then after all of that, Carlton hang on by two points thanks to a ripping tackle from Eddie Betts. I mean, considering the events of the last week, it's an absolutely fantastic thing to see him be the difference maker. I actually saw a real cracking tweet from uh, from journalist Shane Hope who outlines Eddie Betts' last 40 seconds from the stoppage at centre-half back. So volley to keep the ball moving forward. Pressures Harry Taylor. He nails Henry with a tackle for the holding the ball. Chips the ball wide to chew time off the clock. Runs really hard forward. Floats into the pocket. Takes a mark. Siren goes off. He absolutely shanks the, the living crap out of the ball but laughs it off. Absolutely huge. And I will say, speaking of Eddie Betts, I hope you saw this one. Did you see the left foot pass that he had to Mark Murphy? I can't say that I did, actually. I can't say that I did. But what I can say is, it's great to see him playing well. And I know a lot of people are proponents of don't play these old blokes. But I think, you know, if you can't make the finals and blood the young blokes. But culture is so important. And I'm a firm believer in in instilling culture and this is that what you just described is the sort of stuff that shows why they play these veteran players to try and instill some gut running some intensity never give up attitude that's exactly what the blues need it's winning habits yeah it's winning habits so yeah it look the the left foot pass if you get a chance to watch it i mean it it was probably i don't know 45 50 meter pass on the left on the run that just hit murphy in stride and he uh and he went back and slotted the goal from about 30 out so couple of uh, interesting talking points, though. There was a very average dive from Joel Selwood. Probably one of the worst ones I've seen. And it probably serves as a bit of natural justice that the Blues held on. What are your thoughts on some kind of a sanction for, for staging? Well, obviously, in basketball, we do now have technical fouls for exaggerating contact and that sort of thing. Maybe the AFL does need to look at it. I'm not opposed to it. The Selwoods are notorious for being divers. They'd be in a pool if they could. I I do not have a problem with them looking at... I think it should be an in-game sanction, though. I don't think you can really penalise them out of the game. Like a 50-metre penalty. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, maybe a 50. Or just a free. Yep. It was was Um, pretty average. And unfortunately, it led to the, the first goal of the game for Geelong. So kind of wrestled a little bit of momentum back at that time when it looked like Carlton were running away from it. And probably the other thing, Kane Corns called Esava Radagalia's goal line save the dumbest thing I've ever seen on a football field. Have you ever seen anything worse than that, Nath? For people that haven't seen it, uh, Tom Hawkins has lined up from about 50 out, absolutely nailed this thing. It was it was heading through, and for some inexplicable reason, Radagalia's gone up with a two fist and just punched it 20 metres out instead of shepherding it through in a game they lost by two points. Do you think he was at the wrong side of the field? He, maybe. It's one of the weirdest things. It's kind of up there with Dane Rampey's uh, the the goal the, the goalpost show. <laughs> oh, you had to go there, didn't you? Or the uh, or, well, I mean, or you could you could say the 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 plugger pig. That was probably I think one of the weirdest things. Well, when I think of really stupid on court or on field decisions, I can't help but think of J.R. Smith in the NBA Finals. Oh yeah, running away from from the the basket instead of scoring to That's, win a game. That that to me is probably when I think of kind of recent egregious uh, behaviour to lose a game. That's what Hard I think to go of. Past that, I suppose when you couple that with him knocking Luke Dalhouse out of the game in the first quarter, was he every bit as helpful to Carlton as the Carlton players themselves? <laughs> Well, after talking about the 2011 World Cup, we don't want to start any conspiracy <laughs> this, this is true. But uh, no, it was not not a great moment for him in his career. So, In the Sunday morning game, we had Gold Coast do what they have never done in their history. 
and that is defeat the Adelaide Crows. They have now finally defeated every team in the AFL. Fantastic stuff. And they won very convincingly, and geez, what a difference a couple of top draft picks makes. 82-29, the Crows look in disarray. Yep, I didn't get a chance to see more than a few minutes of this game, sadly. The uh, the Sunday morning chores got in the way, but just another sub-AFL level performance from the Crows. But more importantly, another giant step towards legitimacy for the for the Suns. Matthew Rowell, we, we've figured out we've the We've worked out now, yeah, how to yep, say his name. Yeah. Um, look, he backed up last week's effort. 20 possessions, 10 tackle, 2 goal performance. He led the AFL fantasy rankings for the game. He, the kid is just spectacular. Highlighted by a 53-meter left foot goal, so on the wrong boot. He, the kid is he just looks so mature beyond his years and, and it's it's great to watch he's very, his body is mature too it is and and you can be the most skilled bloke on the park but if you don't have a man's body you you can't make it in the AFL yep. and I think that's a, that's a key yeah. it is well I, I mentioned this last week you know when we played them that he just seemed to break through so many tackles and he had yeah such great core strength so I, I think this kid is is going to be fantastic. I also really love Took Miller's speed and, and his penetration through the centre-half forward line was fantastic. Just a great overall team performance. Look, I know Adelaide aren't world beaters right now, but holding a side scoreless in a first quarter and restricting them to one goal through three takes some doing. And I tell you what, Darcy McPherson's snap in the third quarter, that's going to take some beating for goal of the year. And it, that was an absolute cracker. We've already had a few rippers this year. So, um, yeah, but it'd be right up there. It's, it's on right the short list. And they've got Freire next week. Very winnable. Very, very winnable, yes. Adding on to your interesting stat about them being the last side that Gold Coast had to defeat, it's also the first time Adelaide have ever finished a round in 18th place. So the last time they were bottom of the ladder at the end of a round was round four in 2004. Now, when you say 18th place, obviously there's only been two teams for a little while. Do you mean bottom of the ladder or do you mean 18th place? 18th. Right. So, but they were never 17th and they haven't been, they weren't even bottom of the ladder in the 16th team competition okay. since early stages of 2004. So we're talking 16 years. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. yeah, it's a good run. Gotta love these weird stats. Now, do the Gold Coast Suns dare to get ahead of themselves and start thinking about the F word? And I'm not talking about fettuccine. Well, I think they should think about fettuccine because it's good carb loading. It's a good call. But, well, it's interesting, isn't it? So we talked about momentum before. This is where a young team can go wrong. So they have to be really careful. And if they're not careful, they will get ahead of themselves. Absolutely. Their fans should be thinking finals. The players need to stay grounded and the coaching staff have got to really keep them thinking that old adage one game at a time. Very, very true. And Yeah, I mean, interesting. They do indeed have the Dockers next week. Just checking the fixtures to see who they've got in round Geelong after that. Geelong, so that'll be a really good litmus test and see see how they're In Geelong. In Geelong, so that should be good. Can we start talking about Matthew Rowell for All-Australian? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely we can. We can start talking about Brownlow Smokey. Ooh, okay. I think we can. Yeah, fair enough. Smokey, not necessarily favourite, but Smokey. Yeah, he, yeah. He, well, I mean, you'd think he would poll quite well on a, on a team like Gold Coast as well. So. If, if ever there was a season set up for him, young blokes can fall away at the end. True. They're shorter quarters. It's a shorter season. It's set up for him. Yeah, it's I tell you. It'd be interesting to know what he's, uh, what he's paying at the it's moment. It's set up for him. Now, on a... A more somber note, as a Swans fan, how are you feeling for Matthew Nix right now? And how much of this do you think is on him? Yeah, it's funny. So the older the older you get and the, the more you follow sport, the more you kind of have these weird connections with multiple teams. So I was talking about the Dunkleys. Yes. Obviously, with Josh Dunkley, Thanks. unfortunately, being injured, Sorry, Josh. Um, injured for this week. After his old man played for us. I loved his old man at fullback back in the day. He played in the 96 grand final, obviously. 
We have Reese Shaw, coach of the Roos. So yeah, I, I have these weird connections with all these teams around the league, and I do feel sorry for Matty Nix, and and he he has. He's copped a bit of a bit of a lashing for focusing on defense. They're saying that his game planning and his game styles are all wrong. Jeez, he's been handed a poison chalice, hasn't he? He has, hasn't he? And then in our final match of the round, Stewie, after obviously one cancellation or postponement, Freo started really well in the first quarter. Uh, we're actually ahead by a goal. And then the monsoonal rains came and it changed the entire tide of the game. Forgive yeah. me for... Using a crappy pun. Oh, there were several puns about arcs being used. I'm surprised there wasn't a, uh, a bless the rains down in Metricon. Metricon, yeah. Bless so, the rains down in Metricon. Down in Metricon. Yeah. No, look, I, I don't know about you. I've never seen torrential rain like that. Have you Have you seen anything like that before? Um, well, it's funny. You mentioned the snow game before, and I completely forgot mm. about the snow game. And it was only a year or two ago. But um, I, I have... But gee, they're few and far between. I remember a Dogs-Eagles game when they were the Footscray Dogs back in the early 90s being really bad. You get you get one every now and then. But the other thing that people often don't realise is it's worse than it looks on camera. Like cameras designed to make it easier for the viewing experience. So when it was at its worst, seeing how much it was affecting vision then, I can only imagine what it was like at ground level. Yeah. Only imagine. It's it's funny you say that as well because that actually I cast my mind back to the the cricket World Cup final in two thousand and seven. <laughs> yes. In Barbados. Yes. And it was farcical at the end how dark it was. We we could barely even see the pitch. Well, going back, I thought you were going to talk about the rain. So we barely got a game initially. Well, that's. I, I remember us in our bed and breakfast, and I I had a waterproof camera, and I remember you and I were kind of doing a little introduction, and I poked my camera outside and just put it up at the rain and they were coming down hard, those raindrops. And then luckily we did, yeah, we got we got a game, but it was farcical because it was pretty much pitch black at the yeah. end. And, and the thing is, like, we've gone back and watched the footage in terms of, I was very fortunate that my, my parents actually taped all the games. But yeah, you look at it and you go, oh, it's not that, it looks a little bit dark, but we couldn't see anything... Unfortunately, it overshadowed one of the greatest, certainly a top three greatest knock I've seen live, but one of the greatest knocks in World Cup history of Gilly. Uh, uh, it, the, the farcical nature of that game, unfortunately, tainted that it, a little. It, it really, yeah, it kind of did, unfortunately. But the the humorous thing, and apologies for the language, was uh, there was a gentleman, I believe he was near you, with a sign-up that, that said, it's dark for fuck's sake. Yes, it actually made the local paper, and I've got a photo next to him holding the sign. We, I, my photo didn't make the paper, obviously, but the same bloke made the local paper. I've got it somewhere as a souvenir, yeah. yeah. Uh, geez, we learned a tough lesson then. Obviously, we're only in our early 20s then. But we learned, we, we actually were flying out the next day and we didn't even consider there might be rain and we didn't even think about things like reserve days. And obviously the most recent Cricket World Cup was bloody farcical too. And the rules haven't been changed for the better in my opinion. Mm. But yeah, yeah, we learned some tough lessons there. Mm, yeah, indeed. absolutely. So, so no, definitely uh, these things, yeah, we, we can only imagine how much worse it actually was, but... Look, another classy performance from the power. Yeah, let's get back to the footage. Especially considering the uh, the conditions. But, you know, partial credit to Freo. I mean, they put in a great effort. But ultimately, in a, in a you know, after a very even first quarter, Port's class really shone through. A 22-2 inside 50 count in the second quarter. That just sums up the dominance. And it blew the game wide open. And to, to be honest, the two that Freo managed were both in the last minute of the quarter. Travis Boak, Ollie Wines, Tom Rockliffe, Darcy Byrne-Jones, they were all among the leading ball getters. They just looked fantastic. And 
Charlie Dixon and Justin Westhoff looked really dangerous up front. They were taking marks in some of the worst conditions that you, you could imagine. So, you know, Port's skill in the wet was superior. It, I'd probably even say far superior. And it uh, it really, yeah, Frio's midfield just unfortunately weren't able to get any sort of any sort of distance or penetration with their possessions in the first half. If you look at Nat Fife, he had 12 touches in the first half for 46 metres. Andrew Brayshaw, 10 touches for 33. Um, Michael Walters, 12 for 98. That was that was sort of your, the three big midfielders, and they really, unfortunately, just weren't making enough ground. And you kind of felt like that they were kind of there or thereabouts. They were still maybe going to be in it. And as I say, Walters missed that one, and, and Fife missed that one that you mentioned, and they just didn't do themselves any favours. But can I read some numbers to you, Stewie? Go for it. 29, 35... 41. What are the supplementaries? The supplementaries are those are the scores that have been kicked against Port this season. Ah, right. 41 thinking, is the highest score that they've conceded this season. I was thinking Scott Lysette and who are the other two? Yeah, but how's that? That is fantastic. Granted, that, yeah. short in quarters, but, but I mean, still. they kicked 110 points last week. Mm. So, jeez. Yeah, they are looking good. Maybe they should be favourites. Maybe I'm rethinking my original. They just continue to look more polished with the football than guys. Even Scott Lysette. Yeah, he rucked rucked all right for them. He rucked. I thought his rucking was fantastic. But he's picking up half volleys on these chaos balls. He was actually the equal second highest tackler in the game. In a wet weather game, it's very impressive when your ruckman on a winning team does that. That's very impressive. Exactly. Look, I was very, certainly secretly sad to see him leave West Coast after the Premiership a couple of years ago. He is yeah, he's a he's a fantastic ruckman. And I, I mean, I can see why he wanted to leave and have that greater role. But yeah, it's it's. I think the biggest thing was was the real disappointment to see what looks like a real nasty hamstring for for Xavier Dersma. They're saying it could be three weeks. I think it may be worse, to be honest. Oh, a hammy is four minimum generally. Mm, it looked really bad, and you can often double it. So I'll be surprised if we see him on the park before August. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's there till then. So, at least now we've we've kind of spoken a little bit about Port potentially even being up there for Premiership favourites. We won't even really get into the case for them, but I actually just wanted to finish this one off with an interesting little cross code question: Should Trent McKenzie consider becoming an NFL punter? Well, it's funny you say that because a former NFL punter has come out and said he'd play rugby, and he's been pilloried across the media for it. But hey, I mean, if ever there's a game that lends itself to being a punter in the NFL, absolutely. And if you can kick the ball like Trent McKenzie can, why wouldn't you give it a crack? I mean, I've, I've seen highlights of him kicking at 65 off a step. Just huge, absolutely huge. He kicked it over the uh, over the Port Adelaide members, uh, members stand. I, yeah, I just, I, I really like this kid. I think it's... Um, you know, it's it's a great story. I think he was Gold Coast, and they they let him go, which was a, a real shame for for them. But uh, he looks he looks the goods, and I tell you what, he could make some serious money punting and being another one of these Australians who uh, punts the ball as far as he can, and then you know once the receiver starts running past everyone, he just lay, lay a big lays the tackle. In yeah, well, obviously we had around. Sav Rocker. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, made a Super Bowl with yeah, the Eagles in yeah, the one they lost he, to the Patriots. He did, yep. Or if, or if he didn't, he was in the team the year before or the year after. He was very close to an Eagles team that, he near, he that was nearly... There. He was there for a long time. Uh, Benny Graham did play in the Super Bowl for Arizona. Arizona, yep, that's right. Uh, so, hey, there's a history there. There's a history there. Jared Hayne, maybe not so good, but... Well... But he wasn't a punter. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. This is true. But, yeah, what a, what a weird and wonderful round of football that was. What do you have for next week, Stewie? Jeez, I haven't even really looked at the fixtures yet, which is which is a bit remiss of me. But 
I mean, look, oh, there's just so there's so many really interesting ones on there. I I think Hawthorne North Melbourne actually on the Sunday for me is probably probably going to be one of the most interesting ones. I'm I'm also amped to see what actually happens with uh, with Essendon. Well, it's funny you mention that. I'm amped for the more off-field stuff. I'm really amped to know what's going to come out of the tennis world. I'm really amped to know what's going to come out of the footy. And the more that's going on in the NBA, I'm a bit worried about that too. Kyrie Irving allegedly talked about a breakaway league. <laughs> Everyone kind of laughed that one off. Yep. But I mean, the way the way America is at the moment, there's no guarantee. I mean, baseball probably won't come back now. That doesn't bother us too much. We're not big fans. But NFL, I'll be pretty upset if NFL doesn't come back. And that's looking quite possible. Yep. It's, yeah. So my ampedness is, maybe amped isn't the right word, but bated breath. Yep. Well, thanks again, Stewie. It's been another fascinating week. I look forward to doing it all again next time. Until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>